Good morning, everybody. My name is Derek Clack. I'm an elder here at Cornerstone. I'm one of seven elders, and I'll be bringing you God's word this morning from the book of Jude. I do not recall ever hearing a sermon from the book of Jude, and so there must have been a moment of silence this week when you saw in the corner post that the topic was going to be Jude. Really? Jude? You're going to be bringing Jude? And so these thoughts is, is justified and over the next 30 minutes or so you might hope that I've left it in that way. I don't know. But nevertheless, I've been drawn to this book and here we are today. I grew up in South Africa and one of the things I've become familiar with is home security. One of the key ingredients to a good security system is the alarm. And the alarm would have these motion sensing zones all around the house and sensors on each one of the doors and windows so that you are alerted when anybody breaches the perimeter. One night around 3 a.m. we were woken up by the alarm next to the bed um, and the alarm showed that one of the zones has been breached and that zone was a door. One of the doors were opened. And so now, within a few seconds, the loud siren goes off, and it's mayhem. And it's, um, you know, because you're still busy waking up. But at the same time, the alarm sends a silent signal to the security company's control room. And they dispatched um, a security vehicle to the premises. And so within a few moments, the area was secure, and everything was okay. Thinking back on that now, I'm so thankful that we had set the alarm because it's no use having this great tool and not using it. And it's because the alarm was set that we were alerted about the intention of the intruders. But I also think it's because of the loud siren that the intruders were alerted about us knowing their intentions and so that made them flee. So the book of Jude is a similar approach. Jude, we will see that Jude is urging the church to set the alarm. He's urging the church to contend for truth. Jude's letter assumes knowledge of scripture. He assumes knowledge of other Hebrew literature, the book of Enoch, the testament of Moses. And he divides his letter up in two parts roughly. Verse 1 to 16, Jude's talking about contending for the faith and from 17 onwards he's turning our attention to reminding the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. His writing style, it's um, very obvious how he repeats himself to intensify his meaning. I think I counted eight or nine times that, re that he repeats himself, not just twice but three times and he does this in verse 1 and 2 verse 5 to 7 verse 8 verse 11 verse 15 verse 24 and 25 and it's difficult to ascertain exactly the audience that Jude is writing this letter to um, but we think this is by design because it has the effect that it makes his letter timeless and it has application in the church 
through all the ages. So please have your Bibles open and read with me from Jude verse 1. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace and love be yours in abundance. Jude comes straight out the bat with who the audience for this letter is. He says it's those who are called and loved and kept in Jesus Christ. The first triplet. And he continues to say, mercy, peace and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. God's holy people, those from verse 2, who are called, loved and kept. So God's elect, God's chosen. Jude here introduces us to the reason why he's writing this letter. He's saying he was planning and preparing to write a letter about the gospel. So a normal gospel letter, similar to the other letters we already have. But something changed, something happened that compelled him to urge the church to contend for the truth. And he says that this matter is pressing, it's urgent. And it relates to contending for the faith. And so now, verse 4, he starts moving into the reason why we should be contending. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God in a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ as our only sovereign and Lord. So certain individuals have slipped in or are creeping in or have crept in among the members of the church. Jude saying this is no surprise to the Lord because he's determined their condemnation long ago. But we as the church is not always aware of what's happening and these individuals that are creeping in to cause destruction. And what does Jude say? What does these individuals do? He says they use the grace of our Lord as a license to continue to live immorally. So in other words, they say, we are free in Christ. In Christ, we are free to do everything. We are not bound by the law anymore. Everything is allowable. We are free from obedience of the law. We are free because the law does not bound us anymore. It is by grace that we are saved. Correct. And doesn't this sound right? What Paul says in Romans 6 verse 2. By no means we cannot go on sinning. To think that that increases grace. No. When we come to faith, we die to sin. We stop sinning. But these individuals that are creeping in, that have crept in, 
they twist the truth and they say, we cannot outsin God's grace. God's grace covers everything. And therefore, why worry about your sin? Why worry about your actions? You're still saved. You're covered by God's grace. Obedience and repentance is not that important. Grace covers everything. And so by this argument, by taking this line, they are denying the authority of Christ. Because Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Verse 5. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. So Jude here moves into using three ancient examples and reminds the church and says, allow me to remind you that even the chosen nation of Israel was led out of Egypt, out of captivity by God's mighty hand. But later on when they sinned, when they were disobedient, and when they had disbelief, they were punished. They were not allowed to enter the promised land. And the angels, verse 6, who did not keep their position of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. He's quoting here from the book of, of Enoch, chapter 1. And he's connecting that with Genesis 6. And Peter's also quoting this in his second letter. And it refers to an event in the past where the angels sinned against God's creation order. They did not keep to their proper dwelling or domain. And the proper dwelling or domain of angels is the spiritual realm. And these angels must have left their proper dwelling in disobedience to God. And so God rounded them up by the scruff of the neck, so to say, and bound them in eternal chains until the great day of judgment. And the point here being why Jude is mentioning this is be reminded that even angels have to be obedient. They have to obey. And if they don't obey, there's consequences. They are judged. And in a similar way, verse 7, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. This is a problematic verse for a lot of churches. And they've tried to argue it away. What was the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah? It was not rape. It was not hospitality. No, it was sexual sin. And what was the young men and old men that came to Lot's house that night? What was their words? Bring them to us. Bring them out to us so that we can have our way with them. It's the brazen nature in which they openly demanded that these angels that were in Lot's, Lot's house needed to come out and participate in their lustful activity. There's nothing unclear about what Jude is saying here. 
Does nobody know what the sodomites did? It's sodomy. That's where the word comes from. It's active homosexuality. These individuals are creeping into the church. They have crept into the church. And they're questioning the integrity of scripture. They are questioning truth. They are asking for the rules to be changed. And all this under the license of grace. So under the, the license of being a Christian. And what specifically are they arguing for? Well, under grace, we want the license to continue to live the way we feel. We feel we are born this way. We feel a certain way, and that is our truth. And how is this not exactly what is happening today? We see that. We have experienced that this is not a, a theoretical case for the future. Since the very early church, the enemy has been at work to ruin the sense of fight within the church. All we can do these days is tolerate and love. Nobody's really talking about contending for the faith anymore. And those brave men and women that do stand up and contend for the faith are brought before a commissioner and threatened with legal action. But even worse than that, they are condemned by Christians from within the church. These individuals in the church are condemning them instead of standing and contending alongside them, supporting them, praying for them. Verse 8. In the same way, in other words, in the same type of deception, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and heap abuse on celestial beings. On the strength of their dreams, in other words, I had a dream about what this piece of, of scripture means. I feel this is what the Lord is saying to me. I feel this is what we should be doing. I feel this is right. I feel this is wrong. And by doing this, the consequence is threefold. They are polluting their bodies. They're rejecting authority and heaping abuse on celestial beings. You cannot claim the Bible as truth and claim that your feelings are true. You just can't. These two things are on opposite sides. The fact is that God has put the special book together. It's called the Holy Bible for a reason. And he's put this book by his brother Jude, his half-brother, in here for a reason. And that is to warn the church, to say, set the alarm. Be aware of this deception. It's not coming tomorrow, next year, next month, or at the end of time. No. It's been there since the very early church. And Jude was so upset by this that he was urged and he was compelled to write this letter. And it couldn't wait. We cannot act like this book is not in the Bible. We cannot ignore it. We cannot just use parts of it. This is what contending for the faith looks like. It's contending for all of the truth, not just the parts that we are comfortable with. 
And let's be clear, Judas not warning us against people that are outside of the church, people that are not even claiming to be Christians. No, he's warning us about these individuals that are creeping in and have crept in to the church. He's warning us against people that are claiming to be Christians. Wolf among the flock. These are individuals that want to change biblical worldview. They, they attack creation. No, it can be described through evolution. Questioning the integrity of truth, the integrity of scripture. Verse 9. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself condemn him for slander, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Judas quoting here from the testament of Moses. And this refers to Deuteronomy 34 on Mount Nebo. And there was a discussion or a disagreement between Satan and the archangel Michael. And even though Michael was acting under the authority of God, he didn't say, Satan, go away. He said, respectfully, the Lord rebuke you. And so the point of Jude putting this example in here is that this is how we should continue to contend. The authority of Scripture is what stands. And we should not say, we say that it's wrong, but the Lord says it's wrong. And the church is not allowed to change the rules. The Lord determines the rules. The Lord says, stop this. Be alert about this deception and contend for it. Stand against it. Yet these people slander whatever they do not understand. Verse 10. And the very things they do understand by instinct, as irrational animals do, will destroy them. So these individuals, when it comes down to the foundation of it, they don't really understand the truth of Scripture. What they do understand is how they feel. And so their, their feeling becomes their truth. And because this is an opposition to Scripture, Scripture must be wrong. So what they understand by instinct, in other words, human nature, we all have sinful nature, will destroy them. And isn't that exactly what the Bible teaches? That our nature is broken and we are depraved. And so what does Jude say? Does he say, tolerate them? Love them? Give them a hug? No. Verse 11. Woe to them. Woe to them. These individuals that creep and have crept into the church. They've taken the way of Cain. They've rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They've been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. So another triplet example here of ancient events that Jude uses to emphasize the woe that is on these 
deceitful individuals. Cain, Balaam, and Korah, three examples of people's rebellion who corrupted others. Cain was murder. Cain was confronted by jealousy against his brother, and he allowed his sinful nature, his feelings, to overtake him, to rule him. And so jealousy became anger, became murder. Balaam. Balaam was a prophet that was willing to prophesy and give blessing from Yahweh for profit. And isn't that exactly what we are seeing in so many churches today? No, we can interpret scripture in today's time. Some of the verses can interpretation can be a bit flexible. Isn't this exactly Balaam's error? Because they are doing that to ensure people stay on the seat. They're effectively doing it for money. The comfort of grace and blessing, the warmth of God's love without the call for repentance and understanding our harmful, sinful condition. Korah's rebellion. This is from number 16. Korah the Levite and a group of men came up to Moses and Aaron and questioned their leadership. And the next day, when all of them stood before the Lord, the earth opened up and it swallowed Korah and all of these men together with their families and all of their possessions, just completely destroyed. And this is because Korah and these men did not question Moses' authority. What they were really doing was questioning God's authority. These people, verse 12, are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest one, Shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. So Jude is so blissfully clear here that we cannot say much more. These individuals are among you and they only care for themselves. And Jude uses imagery from Ezekiel and the Old Testament to magnify that in a triplet again. The, the selfish shepherds from Ezekiel, the clouds without rain from Proverbs, and the chaotic waves from Isaiah. He is saying they are twice dead in the body and in the soul. Verse 14, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them, these individuals. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone, to convict all of them for all the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness and all of the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Another triplet. Ungodly people doing ungodly things in an ungodly way. And Jude is saying 
they're going to be judged, not only for what they've done, their acts, but also for what they've spoken. Everything will be judged. Verse 16, these people that have crept in, that are creeping in, they are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. So they walk around with defined words about the church. Nothing's ever good in the church. The leadership is weak or they're too dominant. Things are just never right. They're either too strict or not too liberal enough. But in actual fact, they are shaking their fist at God, same as Korah, saying, God, I don't think you have sovereign will over my feelings. I will take my feelings and align it with what you say and we'll come to a compromise. Brothers, no one gets to tell God how to run the universe. No one gets to do that and get away with it. The Lord is coming with millions of his angels to judge. And this will be a terrifying day when the sovereign of this universe reveals himself in truth for everybody to see. If we do not preach this, we are hurting each other. If we are not preaching this, we are hurting the church. The crux of what Jude is saying, the crux of what Jude is urging us to do in these first 16 verses is to say, church, set the alarm. These deceivers are creeping in amongst you. They have already crept in amongst you. Well, these first 16 verses were supposed to sound like a fight because Jude wants to rally us up. He wants to get us passionate about our faith and about the truth that we hold so dear. But he's not building us up to this point and then letting us loose to go bash everybody over the head or to argue with everybody. No, Jude is saying, now that you're passionate, what do you do with this passion you have for God's truth, the passion you have for your faith? Well, he uses two examples. One from the text in the Gospels and one again from the ancient book of Enoch and he uses this to put his contending in context. Verse 17 But dear friends, remember what the Apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, In the last time there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instinct and do not have the Spirit. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. So Judas is saying to us, take this passion and build your faith. Remember the imagery of what it is that Christ has done. He's, he's laid the cornerstone for his new temple and we are all 
living stones in this temple. And so Jude is calling us to continue to build in this building, in this temple of the Lord, to take our faith and to build our faith, to be living stones, prominent living stones in this temple. And we do this by dedication to prayer through the Holy Spirit and obedience through God's love. And this staying alert and having the alarm on ensures integrity is kept in this building. So build your faith and find God's love and wrap yourself in God's love. Keep yourself in God's love and not rush out and do anything hastily, but wait on the Lord for his mercy. Wait on the Lord for his mercy because the world will not give you mercy. Instead, we need to have mercy for those who doubt. Verse 22, be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others, show mercy, mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. In other words, be merciful. Show, show mercy, but stay away from sin and what's wrong and untrue. Don't get angry with everybody. Don't get into disagreements with everybody. But some of these individuals are doubting. And have patience and show them the truth. Because they also need to find the truth. Where there are doubt, be merciful. And so this leads Jude into closing into a doxology, which is an outpouring of praising God. And so we close the letter, verse 24, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. And this points back to verse 2. To those who are called, who are loved, who are kept in our Lord Jesus Christ. So to him who is able to keep you, him being Jesus Christ, he's able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. So even amidst the troubles of these deceivers that creep into the church, Jesus is able to keep you. He's able to keep you from stumbling. But more than that, He's able to present you without fault. To the only God, our sovereign, be glory, majesty and power. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. So brothers, may this be an urging and a compelling for us. That God's grace demands a full whole of life response. Amen.